Hey people, welcome to Security Privacy Risk Crypto and Fintech. This is your host Shahid Sharif from Toronto, Canada, publishing my show every week on a Sunday. I've been in IT security, audit, risk and compliance for over 20 years and since 2013 in blockchain and fintech. Today I will be talking about self-sovereign identity. I will walk you through the evolution of identity systems and provide an overview of the self-sovereign or user-centric identity. Please subscribe to my channel on whichever medium you happen to be using. If you are on YouTube, don't forget to click on the bell icon to ensure you get notified of the latest show. Don't forget to share it with your friends and make sure you show your appreciation by liking on Facebook, hearts on SoundCloud, thumbs up on YouTube and a review on Apple Podcast. Trust was something that was local and useful for establishing trust in a single domain. And the only issue with existing identity systems is that they are not trustworthy. Still, there is no good way to prove that you are a certain age, you have an account with a certain bank, etc. It is very difficult for someone else to vouch for you. Initially, identity was siloed in which there was a single domain. Then came the federated identity. And now it is time for user-centric identity. This is what self-sovereign identity is. So when I talk about siloed identity, in early days when you um, logged on to a website, you had to uh, have separate user ID and password for that particular site. So these were the uh, initial days of the internet where you had Yahoo, the Microsoft, um, and back then AOL also existed and um, uh, computer did too. Um, but you know, you, each of them had their own um, credential system. So you, had, you need to have a separate user ID and a password. Then came the era of um, Web 2.0, which is, you know, the time of the Facebook and the Googles, where people started using Facebook and Google a whole, lo whole lot more. And as a result, Facebook decided to um, allow uh, people to use their um, authentication mechanisms for um, other websites. So other websites included that capability in their um, registration and authentication mechanism. So when you went to a certain site, they said you can use your Facebook credentials or Google credentials for logging in, which was great for people because they just had to remember one um, credential. Um, but the only issue with the federated identity was, again, it was centralized. It was owned by Facebook or Google or whichever organization um, that you were using because right now there's there's um, lots of organizations that are allowing you to use their um, identity systems for authentication like github allows using it for different mechanisms as well um, and right after that came the user-centric identity um, so what uh, is user-centric identity so far Facebook and Google have dominated that. But the problem is no one trusts Facebook. So no one really knows um, if the person who's claiming to be somebody on Facebook, they are really who they are because people don't really provide their um, 
date of birth and some details properly on Facebook and likewise on Google as well and on other websites. So the idea that Facebook and Google started with was they could be used as identity systems and that identity could be used by certain organizations uh, to trust. As I said earlier, identity builds trust. And so far, Facebook and Google have not provided that trust. So the whole idea about user-centric identity is that, or self-sovereign identity is that the user is in control of their identity. It is open, it's flexible, it's interoperable and portable, it's viable and sustainable. The other piece about user-centric identity is also the fact that no one is controlling your identity for you. So right now what happens is um, your Facebook ID or your um, social, social insurance number um, become your identifiers um, or your phone number for that instance. And if someone can get to them, they can correlate that information with you, wherever you're using them, and that becomes a, uh, a huge risk as well. Um, same thing with health identification numbers as well. Somebody could use that to correlate to you, and that's why you you might have issues. And this was a reason for um, the Equifax hack that happened. It exposed so much information about people um, because there was one one identifier um, for everybody and that identifier had so many things linked to it. So that's why um, the existing um, identity system seems to be broken. Uh, one compromise and you're done. So the way the user-centric identity can be implemented um, and, and the reason behind user-centric identity is again the user controls the identity uh, in terms of what they want to share with the other party because right now if you go to a bar um, they want to check your certain ID and most of the time is driver's license to make sure that you are indeed over 18 years old likewise when you go to um, go to a hotel, they want to check your passport or your driver's license to make sure that you are who you are claiming to be and, and so forth. And the issue with this is when you're sharing that identity with, with that individual, uh, you might be sharing a whole lot more information than you're supposed to because your, your, pass, your um, driver's license, let's say we're talking about it has your date of birth on it, your address on it, your height, your eye color, um, your name, obviously. Um, and sometimes that individual, so let's say in, in case of uh, you're visiting a bar, all they have to make sure is you are over 18 years old. So that individual does not need to know your date of birth or the exact date of birth. So what would happen with the uh, user-centric identity would be um, the workflow is going to be such that um, the barkeeper asks you uh, to prove that you are indeed over 18 and you have this verifiable claim that you've had a third party sign for you which 
it just says you are over 18. It does not share the exact date of birth of yours with the bartender or barkeeper. So you just, on your phone, you say share my verifiable claim with this individual. They look at the, the verifiable claim. It says it has a picture on it and it says, you know, XYZ person is over 18 years old done and that's it um, so uh, in that case you have not shared um, more about yourself you shared just enough information to provide that particular service and and some of the key uh, properties of a verifiable claim are that they are decentralized and contextual anybody can be an issuer owner or a verifier Verifier does not need to have any kind of relationship with the issuer, not commercial, contractual, or technical. Verifiers make their own trust decisions. Credential owner decides what credentials they want to carry around. So when we're talking about verifiers make their own trust decisions. So again, this is up to the verifier to trust what they want to trust. No one, no overarching body is going to tell them that you will need to look at this, this or that, right? If an organization thinks they are happy with having a picture on that particular ID and some kind of a claim that you are of a certain age, if that's the information they want, then if that satisfies them, that is fine, right? Um, likewise, with the credential owner, uh, you decide what credentials you want to carry around with you. So when you leave your home in the morning, in the wallet, you keep your credit card, your driver's license, and whatever you keep with, with yourself, right? But you decide um, through your experience what information different parties have requested of you over the period of years. So you just bring those with you, and, and you as a credential owner have decided what credentials you want to carry around. Um, and the other piece about um, verifiable claims is that uh, verifier does not need to have any kind of relationship with the issuer, and not commercial, contractual, or technical. So, how are verifiable claims implemented? So, decentralized IDs are the new type of identifier for verifiable claims. Self-sovereign digital identity. DIDs are fully under control of the DID subject, independent from any centralized registry identity provider or certificate authority. And this is an, an excerpt from uh, W3C um, because they they are the, the body who is standardizing the DIDs at this point of time. Um, you can read more about um, the link I will provide at the end of the post some key characteristics of DIDs are DIDs are string of digits cryptonyms derived from electric curve private public keys DID is written to the ledger DIDs provide pairwise identifiers for every relationship to prevent correlation DID descriptor objects link DIDs to public keys and endpoints verifiable claims allow third parties to provide identity owner with credentials they can use just like we do offline. 
Once the other system has your DID, they can look up your public key, take a nonce, sign it with their private key, send it to you, and then you can sign the nonce with their public key. And this way, they can confirm that the person they are talking to is the person in control of the private keys. And the important piece over here is you can have as many DIDs as you want. So you will not have one DID for everything. So if you want to, let's say, um, share certain pieces of information with, um, um, with your bank. So you might have your social insurance number, your date of birth and your name and address, right? So these are the four pieces you want to say. So it is basically a JSON file. You, you create that and you, um, you, you send it over, right? And this is what you decide to share. So um, what you can do is you can have a third party sign this for you that they have verified this, this. And then you can take this information when you want to open a bank account. The bank also needs to have the system deployed in their environment where if you're using a cell phone, you say, I want to open a bank account. The bank says, can you provide us this information? You say yes. So you consent. Um, you provide that information to the bank. The bank goes, picks that information from a particular database. And this database can also be a, a blockchain. And and then um, they, they look at it and once they confirm, they say yes, verified, and then they can open your bank account. Likewise, for telcos, same thing can happen or wherever you want to use. Um, so um, that's why every DID can have private keys. So what that means is for the person who is who utilizes the system needs to have to manage multiple private keys. Managing private keys is another topic to talk about. I know it's going to get crazy because you 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 might have a lot of DIDs for different purposes. Um, and the beauty of the beauty of the DID is the fact that if one gets if you lose one, you know it's not a big deal. You can create another one, and and it, it does not directly link to you. So. Uh, and then the other idea is anybody can write um, a claim schema and write that claim. Key requirements. So um, any system that plans to implement self-sovereign identity has to implement following mandatory requirements. No visible data to network operators. So whoever is providing the network, they cannot see what data is going through them. Since there is no central database, so you don't have a Equifax kind of a situation where they are storing all your credit history, your credit card information, and everything about you. If that gets compromised, it becomes a honeypot, and people want to attack it. So, at, with self-sovereign identities, um, you are you have your banking information with your bank, your telco information with the telco, um, and some other information elsewhere right and all you're doing is you are having them certify that particular information for you you carry that information with you wherever you go and if somebody needs it you share that did with with the with the other other party right and they 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 will verify that signature um and and accept that um because um it is distributed. There are no single points of failure. 
it allows total privacy so no one's going to be able to to see um how many times you went to the bar uh which bank did you open the account in um uh, because it's a, it is a a identifier um no one is logging that information all, all they're doing is somebody signed off on that and somebody accepted it there's some implementations um right now that are uh, implementing self sovereign identity uport is using ethereum blockchain blockstack is using bitcoin blockchain securekey is using hyperledger fabric blockchain sovereign is using hyperledger indi blockchain so dids enable verifiable claims and then you can use dids on blockchains so what sits on the blockchain is the did blockchain does not store any of your personal information and you have date of birth and all that all that storing is a did so whenever somebody wants to talk to you they look up your did they pick up your public key um sign with the private key send over to you and then you you do likewise you sign and then you that's how you prove the authenticity so the bottom line is current self sovereign identity systems are still very crude they are still missing some essential tooling um which will show up as um current platforms evolve due to um learning from implementations so um it is not something that is um going to be um mainstream pretty quickly um secure key is is um uh, being used a lot in canada um uport i'm like i've had uport for a while now i've never used it myself um and then there is uh, civic also has something um which again there's not a lot of use for it people have created them but not a lot you use for it sovereign um is again one one of those um organizations which is providing um self sovereign identity as well in the US um they are working i think closely with um with utah um state of utah for um issuing their birth certificates um the only one right now i think the only two that are prac- really being used and have use cases are sovereign in the US and secure key um in Canada uh, so all the banks in Canada um are on boarded to this thing even the telcos i think are also using secure key um and sovereign again same same kind of situation over there they're going to provide um the tooling you can use it for whatever you want to use so so there's, there's there's multiple uses of this technology but again um the key is the user is in control of their identity and um and that's where you know if if you want to sell your information and and you have the consent um then you know no one no one's stopping you from uh, from doing that this podcast is product 
This podcast is produced by me, Shahi Sharif. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe on my Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube and Apple and Apple Podcast. You can join my Facebook group for better interaction. The link is in the show notes below. Thank you and have a nice day. Bye-bye. The bottom line is current self-sovereign identity systems are still very crude. They are still missing some essential tooling um, which will show up as um, current platforms evolve due to um, learning from implementations. So um, it is not something that is mainstream pretty quickly. Um, Secure key is is, um, uh, being used a lot in Canada. Um, Uport, like I've had Uport for a while now, I've never used it myself. Um, And then there is uh, Civic also has something um, which again, there's not a lot of use for it. People have created them, but not a lot use for it. Sovereign um, is again one one of those um, organizations which is providing um, self-sovereign identity as well in the U.S. Um, they are working, I think, closely with um, with Utah um, state of Utah for um, issuing their birth certificates. Um, the only one right now, I think. The only two that are really being used and have use cases are Sovereign in the U.S. and Secure Key um, in Canada. Uh, so all the banks in Canada um, are onboarded to this thing. Even the telcos, I think, are also using Secure Key. Um, and Sovereign, again, same same kind of situation over there. They're going to provide... Um, the tooling you can use it for whatever you want to use so so there's 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 multiple uses of this technology but again um, the key is the user is in control of their identity and um, and that's where you know if if you want to sell your information and and you have the consent um, then you know no one no one's stopping you from uh, from doing that this podcast is produced by me, Shahi Sharif. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe on my Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube and Apple Podcast. You can join my Facebook group for better interaction. The link is in the show notes below. Thank you and have a, and have a nice day. Bye-bye.